0: Hey, um, don't you just love this time of year? You know, come on, you do, don't you? You know, when we're coming out of the monsoon season and we're headed into the frozen monsoon season and, 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 and just the beauty of that, you know, seeing the leaves dying gently on the trees and floating desolately to the ground. Doesn't that complete you? Get get complete? You get yammed up. <clears throat> Sorry, I got, I got a, I don't know what it is. I'm I'm halfway towards not having a voice, and I hope you're not as excited as Fran is about that. <laughs> so this morning I'm probably going to have to suck back a little bit of this water. I Hope that's not too distracting. I'll tell you, I'm not excited about the fall at all. i this is not my time of year. But I am amped up about our uh, series in Titus. Uh, I love it when we just dive into scripture and, and um, if you didn't catch it last week, if you weren't able to catch up on uh, uh, video or what have you, on, on uh, YouTube or what have you, don't, don't miss it. Go back and catch Ryan's message. He launched us into Titus excellent as he was talking about leadership and, and um, how we're called to be leaders and have those same characteristics as the early leaders in the Cretan church. And so that was awesome. This morning, uh, we're going to continue on and uh, we're going to be going from chapter 1, verse 10 to verse 16. So finishing out the chapter and what we're going to be looking at is why it was necessary That Titus be putting in place these leaders of the church and and why it was necessary to have leaders that had the characteristics that Paul was was calling for. And so we're going to look specifically at that uh, this morning as we look at the challenge that the church was facing. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to start by just walking through the verses themselves, if you will, and just make sure that we. Uh, understand the verses and what they bring to us just straight up. And then what I want to do is end with two takeaways uh, for us categorically as we go on um, from here, having looked at these verses at the end of chapter 1. Before we begin, though, once more, would you just bow your heads with me and pray and ask God to be with us. Father, this morning, again, we stand on the assurance that your word does not return to you void. And so this morning I pray that that would be the case, that by your Spirit that you would come and that you would work, that through Paul to Titus and down through the years that we would still hear your voice this morning speaking to us, helping us to grow, giving us insight and wisdom into your plan and your strategy. And so to that end, God, I pray these things, and I ask them for your kingdom's sake, and I ask them in Jesus' name alone, amen. All right, so if you have your Bible with you, if you don't, you can grab one of the pew Bibles in front of you, you're welcome to do that. If you've got your phone, flip it out, throw open your apps, whatever, it'll be on the screen otherwise, and we're going to start in verse 10. So Titus chapter 1, verse 10. Four, there are many rebellious people, full of meaningless talk and deception, especially those of the circumcision group. So as we come to verse 10, after hearing Paul call Titus to be identifying and raising up leaders, in verse 10, Paul pivots And he gives us his reason as to why he's calling Titus to that objective. He says, For, or because, there are many rebellious people. So this morning, that's the cause. That's the reason. Paul encourages Titus to put these people in place. These leaders in place in the early church. Because, for, there are many rebellious people. Now, it would help us this morning to understand rebellious a little bit. We should hear that word and interpret it, translate it as insubordinate. And what that means is that unlike people that hold faithfully to the gospel of Christ, that hold faithfully to the apostles' message, As Paul was pointing out in verse 9, these people are ultimately rejecting the sufficiency of Christ for their salvation. They are not holding to Him exclusively in their faith. Instead, they're beginning to add things in to the formula, feeling it necessary to look to something beyond Him to save them. So they're insubordinate. They're rebellious people. Paul carries on. They're also full of meaningless talk. Now I appreciate the old King James Version. Their translation of this. It says they are vain talkers. Which is to say that as they yap. That they're accomplishing nothing of worth. That it's worthless. Their words are worthless. It adds up to nothing of value. And then, what's more, Paul says that they're deceivers. So not only is what they're saying worthless, but that they're not actually just sort of accidentally espousing this stuff. But they're out to deceive people into following them, to adopting their perspective. So we understand the scope then of these people that are the challenge to the early church and in this particular instance as was the case then paul points out that the bulk of these false teachers just have to be happen to be of jewish persuasion that's not a slam He's not taking a shot. He's just identifying it. Putting his cards on the table and saying, here, just in case you don't understand fully yet who I'm talking about, this will help you identify them. Now, I don't know about you. But I appreciate Paul. In this day and age in which we live, where we are altogether afraid... To come out and call spades, spades. Where we're afraid to name names. Paul comes along and says, we on that. I'm going to call this the way I see it. I'm going to make this clear. So that there's no misunderstanding. In this age of political correctness. I appreciate all the more. Somebody that's willing to stand up and say something. You know, it boggles my mind how day in and day out we can go through life right now and never say anything of consequence. We can't say what we feel. We can't say what we mean because we're afraid. You know, if we get these criminal record checks done for those that are serving in different areas of the church, we need to do that for insurance purposes and otherwise and so on. And we get them back And they come in and they say, to the best of their knowledge, this person has a clear record. It's not absolute, but for the most part, from what we can tell, there's no record. So that's great. Then we get a a report back, and if there is something somewhere, then the message is this. Well, there may or there may not be something on record. We can't, we can't even come out and say that there is something on record for fear of some sort of liability or what have you. Like, I mean, is this not ludicrous? And even at that, and maybe fairly, they would say that whatever that we're handing back to you is not an indication of good character or bad character. It's, it's amoral. Paul comes out and calls it the way he sees it. And we need to understand that this morning. That we can't always tiptoe through the tulips in this life. Given what's going on here. This trend continues in verse 11. As Paul sets out now his objective. Verse 11 says, they must be silenced because they are disrupting whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach. And that for the sake of dishonest gain. Oh, Paul, it would be so nice if you would just tell us what you want us to do. Thank you very much for doing that. They must be silenced, Paul says. Now, they must be silenced, not only on account of who they are, which we've just looked at. They're rebellious people, they're full of meaningless talk, and they're deceiving others. But now also, on account of their effect. They need to be silenced for who they are and for the effect that they're having. Paul points out that they are disrupting whole households. Now, When he says disrupting, as we read disrupting, a couple of points here. First of all, disrupting should not be understood as merely causing some form of mild upheaval or becoming a nuisance. Instead, a better interpretation would be of figuratively ruining or destroying. These guys are ruining or destroying households. So that's not of small consequence, it's of significance, the effect that they're having. And by households, Paul could be meaning here whole families, proper, or he might be referring to whole households, that is groups of believers that are meeting together in individual homes as they were to do, doing at that point, as, as was the custom, as was the practice. I wouldn't doubt that it's a, a case of both. They're disrupting whole families, they're disrupting, disrupting whole groups of believers. And so in other words then, these false teachers are propagating a bunch of lies that are taking people and leading people further away from God. And then, as if that weren't enough to cap it all off, Paul says, and they're getting paid for it. These poor people are inviting these guys into their homes, into their worlds. And these yahoos are leading them astray, taking them off out into left field. And at the end of it, they pass the plate Take up a collection to pay them. Paul says, this is crazy. we got to shut these guys down. So given the players involved, and given the issues at hand, and always for Paul, always, with the size of the stakes in mind, which is to say... Our eternal destiny, people's eternal destinies, Paul says these guys have to be silenced, not just ignored this morning, not just endured. Oh, well, teach their own, not just suffered. Well, they'll get over it. One day they'll figure this out. No. They have to be silenced. We're not, we're not comfortable with that. As a church nowadays are we? As Christians nowadays. That doesn't sound very Christian. We should love them. Paul, I think, would look at us and say, are you daft? We have to shut them down. It's not a case of just being nice. It's not a case of just loving them. They are leading people astray for an eternity. And therefore, we have to respond. Now, verse 12. All of a sudden... What went from simply awkward goes to completely uncomfortable. Verse 12. Paul says, One of Crete's own prophets has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. (laughs) Again, if only he could tell us what he thinks. Paul shifts his focus here. Don't miss this. As he now goes from talking about The specific false teachers to the society as a whole, Cretans as a whole. And he's addressing even more specifically those that have started to buy into the false teacher's teaching and or those that are prone to buying into their teaching. And Paul addresses this issue of their character very carefully. Again, we get all uncomfortable and we think that, oh, he, that's just being rude, Paul. But he's not. This isn't a slur. He, he carefully tiptoes into this area. Well, I don't know if he tiptoes in. He wades in into this area by quoting a famous Cretan teacher by the name of Epimenides. This guy was one of their own. He was a Cretan himself. And he offered a self-diagnosis of his people as being liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. And this was an astute move on Paul's part because it circumvents any question of him being biased or prejudiced. It's not just Paul offering this assessment, but it's actually an assessment of them by one of their own. And Paul simply quotes him here. This begs a question then. Why does Paul dive into the issue of the character of the Cretans? Of the people at that time in that place? Why is he talking about the character of those that are starting to buy into the teaching of the false teachers? Or those that are prone to? Well, we find the answer... In verses 13 and 14. Verse 13, Paul starts by saying, well this saying is true. He agrees with Epimenides. He says, therefore rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the merely human commands of those who reject the truth. So Paul agrees with Epimenides' statement. And therefore, on account of the character of those with which we are now working with, on account of perhaps their character issues then, Paul says, rebuke them sharply. Now, two things here two things that we can possibly draw as conclusions as to why he comes up with this approach. The first one is a straight up, just because of the character of those involved. And, and we've seen this, right? I see this in myself. I see this in my kids. There are things that we are prone to, that we have a proclivity towards. And when it comes to those things when I need to be called up short on those things, usually it has to be done a little bit more strenuously, a little bit more vigorously, because I'm already entrenched in them. And so to to do it gently doesn't help me. I dismiss it, because I have already rationalized myself as to why I'm doing these things. I need somebody to come along and call it the way it is. Straight up, so that it will shock me out of my rut. So that they gain my attention and can speak into my life. So that's perhaps what Paul is doing here. Encouraging Titus and his leaders to get the attention of these people. Do it sharply, so that then you can gain an audience with them to tell them what you need to tell them. Secondly, what he might actually be doing is helping to grease the wheels, if you will, for Titus and his leaders. Understanding that his letter will probably make its way to the people themselves. That it will be read to them as well. And in so doing then, that he then is the bad news bearer right off the hawk. He's already delivered the difficult message. And therefore has maybe facilitated then. Titus and the rest of the leaders to carry on with it. But note that Paul doesn't end there. It isn't just a sharp rebuke that he's after. For the sake of a sharp rebuke. But rather... He says, rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. And herein we see Paul's heart. He's tough. He's delivering some tough love right now. But it's towards the end being that they would be sound in the faith. That they would not be allowed to go on any longer and further and further out into left field but that they would come back under the fold of the true gospel and sound in their faith. And the facts are that in some cases, in order for that to happen, there are going to be times when we're going to have to put the cards on the table and call it the way we see it. Understand it for what it is, Name it and deal with it. And I'll come back to this in a moment. But before that, let's carry on. Verses 14, the end of the verse. Starts to tell us what the issues are. Some of the issues specifically. Paul says, they are adhering to merely human commands which is to say that they're deviating from the centrality of Christ. Instead, they're starting to rely on their own wherewithal, their own abilities to try and save themselves by adding in man-made things to the equation. Now note that these commands were being made by the false teachers, those that, that reject the truth Paul says. The problem is that they're starting to adhere to merely human commands, those of the false teachers. So Paul's focus then in verses 15 and 16 shifts back to the false teachers themselves as he carries on with the problem at hand. Verses 15 and 16 To the pure, Paul says, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupt and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything. Now note, Paul says... That they are corrupted and do not believe. Okay? Don't miss those words. Do not believe. Because these verses hinge on that assessment. Paul's point here. Is that those who have placed their faith in Christ. Have been made pure by their faith. They are pure in heart. Internally by virtue of what they believe. Namely. That Jesus Christ came, offered his life on the cross in place of us, died paying the penalty of our sin, and was then raised from the dead by Jesus Christ, therefore conquering death and sin. And by virtue of that then, we can have faith today, not on account of anything that we have done ourselves. As we come to believe that then, God looks at us as pure because we have heard from Him. We have acknowledged Him. More specifically, we have accepted and received the one He has sent. And the plan that He has put in motion through Jesus Christ to draw men back to Himself. And on that basis then, we are now made pure by God, and what we do is pure, because we are pure. But when we reject Jesus Christ as Savior, then now everything is off the rails. When we try and do things ourselves to make ourselves pure, to justify ourselves before a holy God, then we are messed up. Paul says, in our thinking and in our convictions, which then plays out in our actions as well. And in fact, even though we try to employ these different actions in order to accomplish our own justification, in fact, what it does is it further impugns us by pointing out and demonstrating to God that we are not trusting in His Son, but rather than than that, in ourselves. And therefore then we are further indicted by our own actions now i got so wound up i don't even know where i am in my notes <laughs> so the problem here then is that these people claim to know jesus to know god these false teachers Make this declaration, oh, oh, we come to you on the, the basis of God. We acknowledge God. And then they take off out into left field on their own, leading people astray. They acknowledge Him with their words, but in their actions they deny Him. Therefore, Paul deems them as detestable, disobedient, and unfit. G.W. Knight, in his work on Titus, sums it up along these lines. One is detestable, he says, because he judges the work of Christ inadequate for attaining true purity. He is disobedient because he rejects the good gifts of God's creation. And thus, that person is also so disqualified in God's sight... That this unfitness extends to anything and everything that he does with the result that no deed of, the, of his can be good and acceptable to God. That's a good summary and understanding. Just as a side note here. At the time, Paul noted, noted that he was talking about the Jewish people. He was also talking about asceticism. We understand, we believe. Which is, was a, a train of thought that said that to be pure we needed to do external things. That we needed to deprive ourselves of certain things. Foods, marriage, things like that. And so Paul speaks right into it. But the message is still true for us as we lean often into our own works for our salvation. As we look to outside things, well, Jesus, that's good, yes, but I also have to be a good person. I also have to be a nice guy in order to get to heaven. Being a nice person and a good guy gets me nowhere. It's only Jesus Christ that draws me into a proper relationship with God, that provides a, a means by which I can have a proper relationship with Jesus Christ. So then, how are we doing for time? So then, verses 10 to 16 then give us this picture of the challenge facing the church as Paul writes to Titus. Can I ask you though, does it sound much different than it is today? As we look at our society today, as we look around us, at those that are talking about us, around us today, does it sound that much more different? that that, that much different. We We can call it different things, but it sounds very familiar to me. The false teachers that are chattering all around us. And so this morning, just as Ryan pointed out last week, that though the characteristics of leadership applied to those that were supposed to be leading the church, that Titus was calling and getting in place to lead the church. Even though that was the context, there's application for us as well, as we are all leaders at somewhere in our lives. Here too, again, we find the same parallel principle at work. Paul is outlining the problem facing the church at that time. But this isn't just now a problem for the the leaders then or the leaders now to address in our world either. We too have a responsibility. It's not just the leaders of the church that are called to step into the gap and speak to this issue of these false teachers out there, but you and I as well. So this morning, John Stott points us quickly to two takeaways Two takeaways for us as we look at this section of Scripture this morning. Number one, we need to maintain Paul's standards today. Church family. Paul was emphatic. That the people follow the teaching of the apostles and not deviate from it. That they would adhere closely to it, specifically to it. Carefully to it. And the same holds true for us today in the form of Scripture. We are called today to hold carefully to Scripture. We need to come under the authority of Scripture today. It has to speak into our lives. We have to conform our lives to Scripture, not Have scripture conform to our lives. Not reinvent it, reinterpret it according to how we want to live. Who we want to be. The tendency nowadays is for us to play fast and loose with scripture. We adopt what we like. We adopt what makes us comfortable. We adopt what we want. We dismiss the rest. We take Scripture as helpful suggestions, nice ideas, and we forget that that is the standard to which we are being called, that it isn't just helpful suggestions, but that is our plan. That is what we are being asked to accomplish in our lives We'll never get it perfect, but we're to be getting it better all the time, all the time, all the time. So not only do we have to hold up and maintain the standard of Scripture in our lives, but we've got to maintain also what Scripture says. And just on a sort of a side note here. Over and over in our lives right now, people tell us, That we can keep bringing things down to the level of the world around us. That we should bring things down to the level of the world around us. So that we don't stand out as different from the world around us. Hogwash, Paul would say. Scripture, over and over, as I read my Bible at least, pulls us up. It lifts us up. It points us up. We're to, becoming, be, to be becoming different people. Better people every day. Looking more and more different from the world around us. And that's not to say that we become ignorant. But that we are different. Because we're living according to a different standard. And most, most importantly this morning... If anyone, anyone, anyone ever says that it's Jesus and something, that it's Jesus or something else that'll get you saved to heaven, hogwash. Above all else, when it comes to our salvation, we put our faith in Jesus Christ alone and what He has done. There is no other way, no other way in and of ourselves or of anyone else by which we get to heaven. That's our message. Hold dearly to it. Second takeaway, really quickly. We need to employ Paul's strategy today. In the face of many false teachers... Paul's answer to us would be, multiply your teachers of the truth. Multiply your teachers of the truth. And I again, I appreciate the context here, is of the church. But it holds for you and I as well. There's a parallel for you and I too. We are called as followers, as disciples of Jesus Christ, to step into the gap when we encounter false teaching and we need to step up, speak to it, and silence it. For years, I believe that the church has abdicated our responsibility in this. And as we look around, we can see the result. We have adopted this idea of, Live and let live. We've adopted this idea of don't ruffle feathers. And Paul calls us out on that today. With our friends. With our neighbors. With our coworkers, We need to step up and speak to the truth. For the sake of the eternity of the people at stake. Grandparents parents, young parents, parents-to-be, hear me this morning. We cannot be laissez-faire when it comes to our kids. It is not good enough to go through life hoping that they pick up a few things from us along the way as they see it played out. We need to Speak into their lives. We have to indoctrinate them with the truth. We have to speak to the false teachers. That are blowing in their ears day by day. Around us. And I understand this morning. I understand this morning. That we cannot save them ourselves. That it is only the Holy Spirit that can draw them to salvation. But boy I'll tell you what. It better not be for lack of an attempt on our part. We have to do everything that we can do to train them in the way that they should go so that they will not depart from it when they're old. Which is to say, then, that we need to prioritize God in our lives and in their lives. We have to bring our actions in line with our words. That we're not just acknowledging God, but that in our actions, that we reflect Him and His priorities. Too often, too often, and I'm not trying to be ignorant here. Too often, we prioritize things that aren't related to God in our lives at all. Our activities, our leisure time, all of these things come over God, church, Bible, Youth. Kids quest. And as a result, kids are walking away today. Paul looked at the circumstances around him. He looked at the false teachers. All these rebellious people. Insubordinate people walking and turning away from God. And he said, in light of that then... Titus, in light of that, leaders. In light of that, followers of Jesus Christ. Speak the truth. Get out there. Respond. Don't shrink from the question, from the problem in front of us today. We're all being called today to stand up. For the gospel of Jesus Christ. For that is the power of salvation in our lives. Don't ever forget it. And as we do. Watch God work. I dare you. Stand up for him today. Speak into it. Attempts count. And watch God work. Let's pray. Father, today, Lord, we recognize the similarities today between our time and Titus's, between our society and theirs, between ourselves and these early church Christians. God, I pray that you would come alongside us now, that you would grow us, that you would embolden us In our faith, that we would come to know you better, that we would be students of your word, that we would be bold in standing up for you, not ignorant, God, that we would be wise as serpents and gentle as doves, but that we would answer the bell in the opportunities that exist around us every day. That we would call others to the truth. That we would be a beacon of help and assistance to a world gone astray around us. That we, our kids and others, would come to know you and trust in you alone for our salvation. And I pray these things now in Jesus' name for his sake alone. Amen.